it was lunchtime. We were sitting around a table and we were all holding hands. And my father was praying for the lunch that we were about to eat. But there was only one problem. <laughs> Our table was empty. My earliest recollections is finding myself at the age of five, roaming the streets, eating from dumpsters. We were not able to have food at all. We were forced to live with 17 of our other relatives in a very small shanty. No toilets. A lot of crime. No running water. Rape for children. If you want to be out of poverty, then you have to deal with drugs. Some of my friends were actually sold into prostitution. Kids dying for preventable causes. And as darkness engulfs the place, the devil takes over. One morning, I just woke up that, you know, my uncle is just touching me in some parts of my body that I just thought to myself that this can't be happening. One day, my father was murdered right next to my mother, and I knew that moment that my life had changed. I watched as my 10-month-old sister died in the laps of my mother out of starvation. My relatives would always tell me, Michelle, you are so ugly. You will become nothing but a thief and a drug addict when you grow up. And those were the words that I heard from people whom I expected to love and take care of me. Poverty had told me I am hopeless, I am nothing, and I believed that. But right in the middle of this desperation, it was then that compassion intervened. One Sunday morning, my Aunt Carol, she's the only Christian person that I know during that time, she woke me up and said that we have to go to this church and she registered me. What joy and dancing came to my home at the news that I'd finally got a sponsor. I received my first letter. We wrote back and forth. And he told me, you're my first friend outside my continent. She said words like, Richmond, I love you and that lightened me up. My sponsor told me, Michelle, you are beautiful. You are precious to us, and we love you. And the words touched the very depth of my heart and soul. 18 years later, here I am, a child rescued from hopelessness by a young person. My life was changed. My life was changed. My life was changed by a teenager who sponsored me. One teenager changed my life. She was 15 years old. Her name is Ashley. Her name was Heather. I called her mom. My name is Michelle. My name is Tony. My name is Jimmy. My name is Richmond. And one act saved my life. And one act saved my life. Saved my life. Will you act? The choice is yours. Sponsor a child through compassion today. Release a child from poverty. From poverty. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. All right, good to see everybody uh, this morning, and uh, welcome to the Junction Church. Uh, we've got a special Sunday here. We have um, 
a couple of Compassion International representatives here. We got Willem and Colleen here. They go to the Balfour, our uh, partner site in uh, the Balfour Church. They've been here a few times uh, with Compassion. And, uh, and of course, uh, most of you know my wife, Marie, right there. The most beautiful gal in the room, of course. You can just look <laughs> at her. And then Stacy over there. Uh, <laughs> John's like, what? <laughs> if you were up here, John, you could say that, yeah. Um, and so they just come back from Rwanda, as uh, most of you know, and uh, they've had just uh, an awesome trip, and they're going to be sharing uh, with us with us today. And so, um, uh, and they got to visit some of our uh, Compassion kids, as you will see in their presentation. Compassion is a big part of, um, of this church. If you ever head out in the foyer and look to the left, you can see uh, just a whole bunch of uh, pictures with kids on them. And those are all the, the, uh, the children that we as a church sponsor. And uh, a lot of here, people here sponsor one or two of these uh, young people, and uh, it really makes a difference, as um, you'll probably see in this presentation. So if you haven't thought about sponsoring a kid, or uh, maybe you have room to sponsor another one, two or three, and then that table will be available out, and uh, please uh, visit the table, because you can really make a difference in in uh, a life of a young person. Um, and so uh, there's going to be Sunday school today. Danielle and uh, Naomi are uh, able to teach, but the slideshow... There's lots of pictures, so maybe some of the young people could stay in, but uh, Sunday school will be available. And Danielle, you can just wave your hand back there if you need her. She's there. And so let me just pray for our young people. God, I thank you. Um, God, for our young people. And God, if, uh, yeah, just pray over the shine zone today and pray for Sunday school. God, that your blessing would be there, that your spirit, God, would, would work. And um, God, your power might be there. And God, we pray ahead over uh, Stacy and Marie as they share. And God, I know... You have uh, good things that you want to share through them. And so, Father, we pray that you would impact us, that you would uh, alive in our hearts, God, to what is going on in this world, that you would uh, instill passion, God, that we really can make a difference in, in the lives of people. God, I pray that you would show us uh, that we should be often a lot more thankful for, um, for what we have, God, even though we tend to complain a lot. And so, God, I just pray that your spirit might cover this time. And in power and in grace, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I invite uh, Marie and Stacy Ford. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, church. Good morning. <coughs> Let's try that again. Good morning, church. This yeah. one on? Okay, good. Yeah. We're good. Yeah, we just wanted to thank you guys for having us. I mean, you have Marie every week, but thank you for having me and allowing us, um, Jesse, to have as much time as we want today. So hope you guys packed a lunch. <laughs> and um, we're, we just organize things as far as photographs, and each photograph has a bit of a story or um, something to share or something to pray about. So I guess we'll just kind of go through those. Did you want to say anything to start? Uh, well, just that in Africa, church lasts about four hours, I think, or maybe even longer, and we promise we won't be that long. Promise, yeah. Okay. Promise. So do I click this to start the first picture? Okay. Isn't their flag beautiful? So we thought we'd do a before and an after shot of 
Marie and I, as we were traveling through the airports, we were so energized and ready to go. This is after our first flight to Vancouver, and this is um, in Toronto. <laughs> so we still had, oh, look at how good we look. Okay. So this is after two weeks of everything that we're going to be talking about today. Both of us were sick, really pretty sick in this picture. And we still had about eight hours of travel left <laughs> after this picture. So we just thought that was kind of funny. So this is my first ride on a moto. And when we were first planning on going over there, I wasn't sure how we were going to work transportation because I wasn't going to ask my friends and our hosts to drive us everywhere like we did last time. Our last trip that uh, my family and I spoke with you guys about was more of a trip for for our family to see what God was doing in Africa and um, for me to teach with Brad's teachers and do different things. And this trip, we just felt way more independent and more African because we just jumped right in. We spent a lot more time with Rwandese people. Amakuru. Mimeza. So this picture just kind of encapsulates us getting over our fears of many different things. Um, head lice was one because you're wearing a helmet that probably 50 other people have worn already that day. Sometimes so disgustingly sweaty. Sweaty, the straps hanging way down. You know that if you get into an accident, your helmet's going to be the first thing to fly off. And you're just holding on the back. Marie did the little... So, like, they told me that you weren't supposed to hug the moto guy, but I was, like, I was kind of afraid to ride this thing. And I was like, there is no way this Mzungu is not, is not hanging on to this guy. Like, so I just, <laughs> and I know Jesse wouldn't mind, but I just grabbed them and I hugged them and I was like, you are the luckiest black man in Africa. At one time she got off and said, that guy was way too small. I felt like a, a wind could just blow him over. I need the biggest moto guy that comes next time. So we just jumped right in, and by the end, we were negotiating prices and laughing at them when they would give us a higher price. We're like, no, we're not paying that. Um, and we felt very, very safe um, as two women traveling in Africa. You know, people here, you're going to Kigali, Rwanda, and they think, isn't it dangerous there? That was 22 years ago that the genocide happened, and things are being rebuilt, and it's, we felt completely safe, except for one little incident that Marie's going to talk about. So um, we were coming back from our Taekwondo session at Pastor Dennis's church, and it was dark. We, I wanted to do a quick trip to the market just by last few minute things, and our cabbie didn't want to get stuck in the rush hour traffic, so he thought he would take a shortcut. So we're taking the shortcut, and we come to this, like, I don't know, there was probably 20 or 30 moto drivers just in the way, and then he couldn't kind of go around them because there was a, a big uh, bank. So he honked and, you know, revved his engine and they wouldn't move. They would not get out of the way. So he decided that it'd be a good idea to ram them. So with his car. With his car. <laughs> so we <laughs> he literally rammed into the motor drivers and all of a sudden, like, complete chaos. They all get off their bikes. They surround our car. They're banging on the car. They're yelling in Kinyarwanda. And Stacy <laughs> just reaches back. I'm sitting in the back seat. And we weren't really afraid, but we were just like, Lord, what is going to happen? And I started praying like I've never prayed before. Like if, like I'm pretty sure it was English, but I've never played, <laughs> prayed before like that. And at one moment I thought, Lord, really? This is how I'm going to go? Like, come on. In, and uh, they were like, 
pulled the door open, trying to haul our cabbie guy out. Like, and he, it was, it was terrible. And then there was a military man that came over and smoothed, ev smoothed everything over after about 10 minutes. And the guy ended up paying him 3,000 francs, which is about $6 to the cabbie. And we, we were off. Yeah, the guy moved them all out of the way, and, and I was holding this little elephant that I had just picked up for Hannah, and uh, my window was down, and I'm like, I'm not rolling up my window. I'm not going to show that I'm afraid. These moto drivers were courteous all week. They weren't upset with us, so we just kind of let it ride, and uh, I couldn't even hear her praying because it was so loud, everybody yelling around the car, but that was really the only instance where it's like, this could go bad pretty quickly, but God didn't let it do that, so that was really good. So this is just an example of, um, there's a lady, just, it's a tiny little strip mall. She's at her sewing machine. The Rwandans, they'll, they, they'll just do anything to try and make a living. Um, you know, hauling bananas. Those bunches of bananas are like, like they're huge. And the, you know, this guy's pushing his bike along with all his bananas. Um, and a lot of times we don't know how they make money. Like it's just, some of them are so poor. We don't know how they even, eat day to day. Yeah, our friends have been there for 11 years and they said it's still a mystery to them how people survive. Like, you'll, you'll be in their house, they have nothing, and then they'll go to the market and get something to eat and you don't even know really how they're paying for it. But they're very ingenious and they're very entrepreneurial and they find ways. That, uh, I think you wanted that in there to just show the density of the population. Yeah. So it's just the higher up you live, you're kind of a little bit more, you have a little bit more money. The lower down you live, it's like real shanty, mud brick, tin roof houses, and um, you're, you're poor. Which in Rwanda is, I mean, living lower down in a valley can be really dangerous. Like, um, this is overlooking Brad and Kiki's. Umadugadu. <laughs> yeah, in our Umadugadu, that's my favorite Kinderwanda word, that means your neighborhood. Umadugadu. Um, this is the valley when it's dry and then huge rainstorm that lasted about half an hour like totally filled up that valley those ditches that like you can see little streams going into the into the lake are like five feet deep like it's just the rain is like I've never seen rain like that in my life it's pretty instantaneous and the Saturday after we left they actually had a big rainstorm and killed eight people within the city just from their homes collapsing on them um, and then you wake up the next day and it's completely dry. Um, so they do not go out in the rain and so the rain did um, factor into some of our plans. Um, if it was in a storm, they all stop. And our moto drivers stopped and wouldn't take us any further so we just walked and people thought we were crazy. So some of you know the story about how this whole martial arts for justice thing started and I'm not gonna talk about that piece as much today. But for me personally, when it all started and, and we were really involved with IJM, I, I really thought that God had designed my entire being and my entire life to work for IJM. I was just sure that that's what I was going to do. And there was a, when we were raising money with the youth group and all of that, a job opened up that was exactly what I was doing with the youth. It was mobilizing youth and young people to move and to start pushing against slavery and to, to take action. And I remember being in my, on my, uh, the floor of my office 
bawling my eyes out right before a phone interview with, with IJM, begging God, send me. I, I like that you, you obviously orchestrated all this. This was created by you. It's in my heart. Like, this is a done deal. And I did not get that job. <coughs> and it's become very clear to me after um, that if God were to say, okay, do you want to do this IJM job and be away from your family and travel and do all these things and work with Canadian youth and get paid? Or would you rather use your own resources and money to go over to Africa and teach Taekwondo to children and self-defense to women? That, that would be beyond, like, that's way more than I could ever ask or imagine, Amen. which is exactly what the scripture tells us he will give us. So this picture just encapsulates, encapsulates that for me. This is one of the classes in Pastor Dennis's church, and I just want to thank Dean for trusting me with this, too. I'm not even technically supposed to teach yet. I'm only a brown belt, but he just throws me in there, and, you know, I had to teach classes by myself, and one of them, my interpreter was late because it was raining, so I just started class. I'm doing warm-up, and they don't know, they can't understand a word that I'm saying, so they're just imitating everything I'm doing. So if I would just like do this, they would you know, do this. If I'd scratch my face, they'd scratch their face. <laughs> so they were super, super hungry um, for Taekwondo. And the little girl that you see in the yellow in the front, um, she was just a superstar. We thought she was a boy for about four classes. <laughs> then we saw her in church, she was wearing a dress. Um, after every class, I saw her when Dean and I, we, we actually overlapped for a couple of, of classes, and she would run up to both of us and just, you know, the big hug and the squeeze and the post-Taekwondo class cuddles that was just like, oh, I can't wait till class is over because then baby's going to come and give you a hug. So this is them go going through the tenants. So we're teaching them, um, you know, courtesy and integrity and, and perseverance and things like that. And they say them in Kinyarwandan. And then we added the justice piece for them because they've never, Taekwondo is definitely in Rwanda. They're very, very good at what they do, but it's only as a sport. They've never made the connection between using martial arts for the justice piece. So we're trying to teach them more about that. So they did teach them a little bit of English. They taught them how to say pursue justice and they'd go, Pasu justice. This is so cute. So there's baby doing her little punches. And it was really interesting how God orchestrated this young lady. You'll be hearing a lot more about her. Her name is Zora. She's 22, and she happens to be the Rwandan national champion in Taekwondo, and she does the same forms and patterns that we do here. And I don't even know how we met her through Facebook somehow. But God has taken her. He's taken a an IJM counselor. He's taken a pastor. All of these little pieces in this tiny little country with millions of people and said, you're going to work out of this church, so here's a pastor, here's a counselor, you can do co-op, you can do taekwondo, and oh, here's your teacher. So you can be praying for Zura. Um, she gets paid a little bit of money to teach way out in the country. She has to take a bus way out there, and we're hoping to give her some money to help keep these uh, Wednesday and Friday classes for us going as well. She, she was um, pretty amazing. Her English needs a little bit of work, but it was really fun to spend time with her and her family. So this is us doing a, 
uh, didn't know we were going to be doing this. This is another thing where Dean's like, oh yeah, I want you to go talk in front of all these people and do a demo. Um, so we're showing them self-defense, um, some self-defense techniques. And th this organization is called the Poor Women's Development Network. And Aline, who's one of our friends who was an IGM counselor, it's her mom that runs this co-op, or it's not really a co-op, an organization, I guess. So she has access to 3,000 women who are genocide survivors, former prostitutes, AIDS, you know, you, you name it, they probably have it somewhere in there, and about 600 youth, which in Rwanda can mean anything from 16 to 35 if you're single, you're, you're considered a youth. And so when you consider their families that, that are involved, we have access to helping over about 21,000 people if we keep this partnership going. So we're hoping to um, do future self-defense training, empowerment. We're getting Abby involved with the counseling and the trauma counseling um, so that we can really work with this Poor Women's Development Network. And the most fun part about this class is that these Rwandese women were in their you can see them in the back, full African skirts and dresses. They're trying to kick, you know, they can't really lift their legs up. And they just thought it was hilarious. I was working with this one lady who was probably older, probably younger than she looked. She was probably only 40, but they're very timid to start, you know, and you're trying to teach them how to block, how to block. And I'm telling her, no, do it harder, do it harder. And I'm, I'm trying to show her. Pretty soon she starts just going at it and you know you do this to them and they think that's hilarious and every time she'd do a block or a punch she just would kind of cover her mouth and start giggling and she can't believe that she's actually getting to do this <coughs> oh sorry all my slides are in a row <laughs> marie was marie was with me all this time <laughs> you rearranged them didn't you no, this is okay, order. okay. So this is, we went back to Brad school and, and I, I did a day with his teachers as well. Um, taught them personality traits and how it affects their teaching, which was hilarious because they don't really think of themselves of, as having personalities or even how that would factor into any part of their life. Um, Rwandese culture is very paranoid um, from the government all the way down to these teachers. Um, they don't trust what people say to them. So we had just a 15 question test for them to take. And the questions would be like, out of the four choices, what would your best friends say best describe you? They, co they couldn't answer that. For 15 minutes, they're discussing it back and forth about, well, I don't trust what my friends would say about me. They're, they're all hypocrites. And but by the end, we had them divided into four personality groups, and they had a blast. Because any of you who have ever done a personality test, you think your personality is the best. <laughs> and you start making fun of other groups, and that's exactly what was happening. The, the feelers over here were everyone was uh, mocking them that they needed to be told that they were doing a good job the whole time. And, the thinkers over there, everyone was saying, we're waiting for the thinkers because they have so many questions, we can't even move on to the next thing. And it was really, really fun. It was really fun. And Judith, she was my interpreter. I could not have done that without her. She's a teacher there as well from Uganda. Um, they wouldn't have had a, a clue what I was talking about if she hadn't been there to help me. So that was really a God thing too. So um, the second Sunday that we were there, um, I spoke in Dennis's church. 
She preached so, it. She didn't just speak, she preached. Um, before going to Africa, actually like my whole life, I've had a real huge fear of public speaking. Like I can't even come up and read scripture fear of public speaking. Um, and that Sunday, I knew, like, coming, I knew I was going to be talking, and it's like God took away my fear. It was like I said yes, and God was like, okay, that's all I need, and he took away all my fear. Like, I was nervous, for sure, to get up there and talk, and um, I talked about lies, um, truth, and freedom, about knowing what before we know Jesus. We believe all these lies about ourselves, and... Um, when we come to know Jesus, now we know what the truth is of who we are and how that leads to living out in freedom. And so for, this is a huge deal, actually, for me in my life, to be able to get up, even today, and not be afraid um, is a miracle. That's a miracle. So preaching that Sunday, I had some amens and hallelujahs and some clapping, they could, they could really relate. Like, I, I told them my testimony, talked about, like, you know, um, drug and alcohol addiction and abuse that happens here, too, and it, it's the same there. It's all the same, and so I think they saw that we have these kind of bonds together just because you're in Africa or Canada doesn't mean that life is that um, otherworldly different, like, even though it is in a lot of ways. Did you want to tell them what happened to you kind of during the worship? Yeah, so um, we had an hour and a half of worship. So at, at about, you know, half an hour in, I looked at Stacey and I was like, we're in half an hour, that's pretty good. And um, some of the songs we, we even recognized. And at one, at one point, probably the most intimate <coughs> thing that's ever happened between me and the Holy Spirit happened. And that was... I could, I could just so sense God's presence there. And I could hear him whisper to me as I was watching all of the Rwandans worship. And like, Africans are expressive, right? Um, and it, God whispered, look at them. Do you see them? Aren't they beautiful? Do you see their hearts? I, I totally started bawling because that was so precious. So precious for me to see how pleased he was. I'll give you a second and say, um, the thing that struck me watching Marie was I knew that this was one of her fears and kind of leading up to it, I was like, are you nervous? Like, are you doing okay? Do you want to pray? She's like, no. It's like she was trying to feel afraid and she couldn't. <laughs> and she's like kind of assessing the situation. No, I'm good. Like, I'm really good. I can't believe it. I'm good. And for her to get up there and share her testimony with her, you know, things about her family and stuff that um, I think it was just really struck to me that humanity is humanity. Like, we're all just broken. Our relationships get broken and ourselves get broken and our hearts get broken. And it was, it was really a privilege for me to watch Marie work through this. Um, and then just also to stand in the presence of the worship where they are all... <laughs> For about 15 or 20 minutes, everyone is just praying out loud, and Marie's like, they're speaking in tongues. I'm like, yeah, literally, they're <laughs> like, <laughs> so we're kind of, you know, it feels a little awkward, because you're just kind of standing there, but it was an incredible, incredible experience to just watch them clear out the chairs, 
you know, this little choir that we had going, they would have been the dance team and they would have been lined up and the little kids would be trying to emulate the dancing, like, and it just went on and on, but it wasn't tiring or, or boring at all. It was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. And they had, they didn't, like they did Sunday school before the service, so all the little kids were there. At some points, they would just like go outside and play and there's this busy street, right, going like, you know, cars and trucks go by. I'm like, that would never happen in North America. Your little kids going outside to play on the street. Yeah, that was, that was nursery. <laughs> Go play in the street. Yeah. <laughs> Did you want to say anything else? No. So this is Pastor Dennis and his little girl Favor. Um, I brought a couple of Abby's books with me and gave them away, and I gave two to Dennis. Um, this man, like, he has he carries a big burden. I mean, all, all pastors and ministers do in some ways, but this man, I was. I was totally blown away at his, at his heart. Like, he is probably the most joyful person I've ever met. And yet, the burdens he carries are Im immense. Like, he doesn't know how he's paying his house rent from month to month, let alone his church building rent from month to month. And sometimes, he will text me now that I'm home, and I ask him, like, how are you? How can we pray? And he's like, you know, we're doing okay. We don't really have food today. God is good. Like, and he does trauma rehabilitation with the co-op ladies that make uh, these beads that I've been selling for the last couple years um, and other, other people in Rwanda. So he, like the burden this man carries is incredible. And part of um, what I feel like my call is <coughs> now, uh, on top of supporting the co-op of ladies, is to find some supporters that will become monthly supporters of him and his family um, who want to donate like five to 25, whatever it is monthly, to help cover just their living costs so he can be free to minister. Because the need there is incredible. It's it, like, it's incredible. The need, the, the kinds of things that they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis is nothing like we experience here. It's really sad. It's really sad. So this is Claudine and Baby, Fa um, baby Faith. He was the one that we were praying for that was born prematurely uh, with a broken leg. Um, this is Dennis's wife, for those of you who don't know. Yeah, this is the first time in six weeks, like since he was born and brought home, that he was brought into the living room. Um, Claudine just kept him away in the bedroom. And <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not good. We're, <laughs> we're going into the living room. And I'm taking his toque off because he's sweating. He was all like bundled up, like in like winter things. And it's like 28 degrees out. So. There are a lot of um, myths and lies they believe even about um, childbirth and having babies. Melinda, you probably experienced this in Haiti too. You know, moms, you're not supposed to drink water when you're nursing because that will make your milk watery. Like that, so now you've got completely dehydrated moms walking around trying to nurse their children. So part of what Dennis does too is do um, family planning and, and um, talking to these, trying to get some of these things out of the system because they mm -hmm. just so easily believe that stuff. But Marie also took them out for lunch. Uh, it was the first time Claudine had left the house since she'd ha had her baby and uh, to a buffet. <laughs> and uh, they can eat a lot. Yeah, like we, so we they went to this buffet. And I told them, let's go to a nice place. Like, let's, not like KFC kind of thing, right? Let's go somewhere nice. So we went to this nice place. 
I'm just, the baby's on my lap in the back of the cab, everything's, you know, normal. And their plates were like, <laughs> I've never seen someone take so much food, except for maybe when Jesse was like training for the Olympics. <laughs> like, when he wanted to be like, a, you know, a racer. I, they just, and so I just took these like, little sections of things because I didn't know what some food was and like what's that Dennis oh that's meat oh okay so <laughs> so I brought it, my plate back and he's like oh I guess I'll let the mazungu go back again because I didn't know it's a buffet but you're not allowed to go back so that's why they like <laughs> piled their their plates up and even I was stuffed when I finished mine and we had this fruit cocktail thing it was yeah but I think like to go out for a nice dinner like that for them they can't afford that. They can't do that. So they're going to make the most of what, what yeah, we did. Yeah, for sure. I saw that at Brad's school, too. They have lunch, and they serve lunch to the teachers. And I, I've never seen tiny women eat, like, massive amount of mostly carbs. Um, but Brad said most of them are single. This is their meal, <laughs> this is their meal of the day. They're, they're going to take advantage of it. So now we're getting into the compassion pictures. Um, it was uh, hard to watch that video, actually. I was crying before I got up here. So um, this is, uh, well, why don't you talk about this? this okay, is so kid. this is um, our first day. This is right behind my compassion boy, Claude, his house. Um, so he, Claude was at school writing exams, which was like just, it wasn't very far away. His brother went on his bike to get him. Um, so all the, all the children gathered around and... Um, you can't see it in the picture, but Claude's family's two goats are like tied up right off the side. And uh, this little boy in the red here, we called him Oscar because he would not smile at all. Um, but all the kids were just so excited. In, in, I don't know if it's just Rwanda or if it's all of Africa or what, but the Rwandan parents tell their kids, um, if you don't behave, we're going to send you to the Mazungus and they'll eat you. That, like, we're going to send you the foreigners and the white people. And so there was a moment when we arrived in a village, not this one, where I got out of the car and this poor little girl just like totally got afraid and started bawling and ran away. And I was like, I'm so sorry that I'm white. I'm so sorry. I'll actually tell you a funny story about that too. Before I knew that, that parents told their children that Mazungas will eat them, we were walking into that poor women's development network and it's by a huge school, thousands and thousands of kids. And you, you just attract attention because you literally are the only white people. So pretty soon there's a, tr there's a whole huge group of maybe 20 kids behind us and I knew they were there but we weren't really paying attention. I thought it would be funny to turn around <laughs> and just like scare them like, you know, like, and, and, and yell. <laughs> some of them got it but some of them ran screaming with looks of terror. And then, and then my friend, I told my friend Kiki, oh, you have to, to tell you this funny story. She's like, well, you know why they did that. And then she tells me that's what the parents, <laughs> oh, I felt so bad. <gasps> they love the selfies. They sang some songs for us. And um, yeah, you always attract a crowd wherever you go. Yeah, so there's a grandma um, as kids are singing and they're dancing. She just comes out and she's just, you know, doing her African thing. It's beautiful. So here's Claude. So he, like we've, we've sponsored him now for like I think seven or eight years. Like it's been a while. This is, Stacy went two years ago to visit him. Uh, her and her family went. So this was my first time. Um, if you sponsor a kid through Compassion, I just want to tell you that the impact is amazing and it's enormous. 
Only one child per family can be sponsored. So your sponsorship actually is helping an entire family. It's not just one child. Um, you can keep clicking some of the pictures. So this is his family. Um, the Eugene on the end there in the stripes was the compassion guy. Um, so his, his mom and stepdad and brother and, and mother. Um, yeah, the money that you send every month is incredible to them. It, it, it really does a lot. We think 40 bucks, like, what's that, one dinner out? But to them, it's, sometimes it's a matter of life and death. Like, the medical care they can get, the food they can get. We got to see in a book all the, all with all the money that we've sent, the, the, the gifts and stuff they've been able to buy, like goats and it was, it was absolutely incredible. Like, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed at the impact that our sponsorship has on their family. And I really appreciate how Compassion does things. They go out and put the word out to try and gather the poorest of the poor, like the kids who really need it. They do have to be associated with the church. They put on uh, some compounds put on a Bible class every Saturday that the kids um, the kids attend, um, and so that's the difference between a, a little bit between World Vision and Compassion is that they do get a lot of the Bible training, and it is a requirement that they be associated with the church. Um, it was really really cool to see this family again. This grandma on the end with the green skirt. You probably re you might even remember her from the singing video that we showed with Dylan dancing in it. She saw me, and it was just like huge smile on her face. It was so awesome. And they do the, the African hug, which we'll show you in a minute. And then the one, her oldest son, who's 20, wanted me to make sure that I gave greetings to Hannah because last, last time they were the same age. And he's like, oh, yes, I remember your daughter. She was very interesting to me. So, <laughs> so I w it was really fun to just joke with him about that and, and to, see, to see them again. So this is uh, Kunda Bayou's mother. Um, they call her Seppi, which is a lot easier. Um, I'm not even sure what her name was, but as soon as I got out of the car, <coughs> she wouldn't let me go. You could talk she, about this. She was so, Seppi's mom was so overcome with emotion at seeing Stacy and so grateful, again, because the money that our sponsorship makes a huge difference to them. It's, it's incredible. Um, and so this hug went on for a long time, a long time, because she's so grateful, so grateful what that sponsorship does for their family. I think they had six kids mm -hmm. in their family. So that's Seppi. She dressed up for the occasion. I bought her a pair of matching pants. So those pants I'm wearing, I bought her a pair, which she loved. She ran and put them on right away. Um, told her whenever she wears the pants to think of me. Um, it's kind of awkward at first meeting your, meeting your child because you can't really communicate. There's so many things you want to say and make sure that they know about their identity and all those deep things, right? But to just sit there and to hug her and to tell her how beautiful she was was, um, was pretty awesome. Um, th there are really no words to describe it. If you, if you have a compassion kid already, um, I just really want to encourage you to, at the very least, to keep those letters going. 
um, in talking with Colleen, she says that some sponsors don't ever even write their kids. And so there are people like Colleen who will write letters for other people's kids just so that they get letters. Um, I know writing letters is a pain. I have two sitting on my desk even after I've met them that I'm like, okay, I gotta make time to write this letter. Um, because you feel like you're saying the same thing every time and, and those kinds of things. But I just really wanna encourage you that if you have Compassion Kids already, um, to speak those words of life that, that was in the video too, um, because they do hear lies about their identity um, and to just tell them that you love them and that you um, would want to meet them someday or things like that will really go a long way. So these are the awkward moments <laughs> with the family where you don't really know. Um, her mom and dad are still together, which is a little bit unusual. Um, they had a big family and kind of a nice house compared to even Claude's. It was a little bit nicer, but there's nothing in there. There's benches and that's it. All their kitchens are outside. But they also had goats and um, we, brought, we brought some duct tape for, <laughs> for our people and the dad never seen duct tape before and he just ripped that open and started fixing things around the house <laughs> with the duct tape. <laughs> it's probably gone already. Like we brought lots of like, you know, kitchen things, towels, like for the mom and then, <laughs> and here, there's some duct tape for you. This is Jadot, that little guy. And when we got back from Rwanda last time, Dylan, 16-year-old, I'm gonna sponsor a kid mom. So this is Dylan's Rwandan son. And it was so moving to me to meet his young mom and to just say, my son is taking care of your son. Um, not in kind of a braggy way, but it just kind of struck me that my son is taking care of her son. So they started calling me grandma, which I did, wasn't used. <laughs> didn't really like that part of it. <laughs> but he's got one other sibling in between, him and his little baby sister there. And so Eugene, the compassion, the man who accompanied us was even using the opportunity to teach her about family planning. You know, you have to space these out a little more and talking to them about contraception and things like that. They had taken a bus for two hours to get there to see us. So we weren't able to buy them as much food as we did with the families that we got to visit them, their houses specifically, but we, we loaded her up pretty well with a bunch of goodies. So these, um, the girl in the white um, is our girl, Miriam, and the girl in the orange is Abby Napora's girl. And seeing, like, I just, I, I feel like it's a broken record, but seeing them was incredible. There's a language barrier for sure, but just there was moments when, you know, we could like pick on them and kind of be like doing this to them and they'd be like, what? And then we would laugh and then they would understand like, oh, like, you know, like that's a good thing. Like, we're <laughs> um, And Abby's girl was really sweet. Like she was really, really sweet. Um, I think, is it the next one? The Did the, there was two videos in the slide. Did they get not put in? Uh, no, I didn't get a few in, but this is the last video. Just a lot. Okay, that's okay. Anyway, there was this one video of her, Abby's girl, um, talking to Abby, just 
thanking her, and I asked her what she wanted to be when she grows up, and she said she wants to be a pirate, which means a pilot, because they're R's and their L's are mixed up. Um, you can click. So this is Miriam's um, part of her family, her mom and dad, and her mom and dad are still together, which, you know, that is unusual there. Um, there's lots of, lots of different kinds of abuses that happen, um, drug and alcohol addictions, and his, her one brother was wearing this white t-shirt and had to run inside and get this nice shirt, so he's still buttoning it up. <laughs> That's what struck me with this, is that, uh, you know, his parents didn't think he looked, you know, good enough for this picture, because he's wearing a tank top. Yeah. So he kind of, you know, <sighs> does this and <laughs> goes and puts his shirt on. <laughs> So this is a few of the ladies from the Bayonesa co-op. Um, so we got to spend a few afternoons with them um, making beads and just like talking to them through Dennis, the interpreter, um, the, the pastor. Um, that's Dennis's sister in the black and then Marguerite and I actually can't remember the other three, um, what their names were, but I did get all four of their testimonies on video. I don't have them today um, on just how like how the genocide impacted them you know, most of them lost all, all their families. Like, you know, some of them witnessing it, others not. Um, but there was one girl, can you? Okay, not yet, it's okay. So this is them, they're just showing me the process of how they make the jewelry. It's quite a process that they go through. They had no idea that putting their hands in varathane and kerosene could possibly be bad for them. Um, so I told Dennis that he needed to go buy them some gloves. That's, that's not good. Um, so it's just, you know, they hang them to dry and then they have to dip them again, hang them again. Like it's, it's a process that they go through to make, to make these beautiful beads. These beads, um, to them is, that's their income. Like they make soap too, but this is their livelihood. Like some of them, there was one lady that joined, uh, she was a prostitute and because the co-op is very new compared to the other co-ops in Rwanda, she went back to prostitution because they're not making enough money. I'm the only one right now supporting this co-op anywhere. Like, it's, it's me. Um, so I feel like, um, I feel a little bit overwhelmed actually because there's a lot of work to be done there. We visited two other co-ops and they're very well established. They have some sort of North American backing that's helped get them onto their feet to be self-sufficient. And that's, that's my vision for Bayonesa is that, you know, somehow, whatever God has planned, that we help them get on their feet so they can become self-sufficient and they don't need to, to, have, to have our help that much anymore. Um, click. So this is Chantelle. She is one of the girls that comes to the co-op um, and she was also part of Taekwondo with Stacy while we were there. Um, this is just before we're leaving and she started just crying, like crying like I've never seen crying. And we were kind of like, what's going on? And Dennis went over, talked to her. And as it turns out, that our two weeks there had a huge impact on this girl. Like, she hated, hated white people. She hated Mazungus, especially the French. So being Canadian and two white people coming there, like, that's kind of ironic. Um, but in this picture, she said God had healed her of that, that she could see through Stacy and I that Mazungus can love and have compassion and be kind people. The genocide in Chantel's life, just, there's no words to describe what it had stolen from her. 
in the end, we will have a quick testimony video of her. It's about five minutes long with some subtitles so you can really understand what's being said. But if this is all that happened on our trip, this would have been enough. This was incredible. What struck me most about this too was that we, we couldn't really ever talk to her very much. It was a matter of, um, for what, it, well, obviously it was the Holy Spirit uh, when she showed up at class. I know how hard it is to be the only adult <laughs> with a bunch of kids in Taekwondo class trying to learn and you just feel so humbled and a little humiliated. So I made a point to look at the roster, see how old she was, she's 35, learn her name, she had her daughter with her, um, and just say her name as much as I could throughout class. Make sure that if we had partners, I was partnered with her. Um, make sure she was hitting me hard enough, you know, trying to get the laughs going. That's all, that's all I did. All Marie did was, was listen to her story. And God was able to use that to, to break down walls that had been there for 22 years. Um, so it definitely wasn't anything we did, but it's just testimony to what what God can do if you just make yourself available. Um, we will see her again for sure because we're going back lots. So hopefully we'll bring back more stories of her. This was her after that. Like that that was in the morning and this is at night, a Taekwondo class. And she's, she's just a beautiful, beautiful lady. And when she walked into the church, she would just light up. It was like, she's just like she's living in two different worlds as you'll see by her testimony. All right, do you want to move into the testimony or do you want to say anything more about anything? Um, so, so, the, so the one thing I do want to do is um, the Rwandans, they don't have much, right? They don't, like compared to us, we came home, I felt like I, that I live like a queen. Like I have water that comes out of my tap. I have, I have an abundance of food that I can eat every single day. I own a car. Like, th these, all these things that we take for granted every single day, for them, does not exist. Like, it, it's, it's so different there. And yet, they're very generous. So when we saw our sponsor kids, we all, we got gifts from their families that, to them, wouldn't be a cheap thing. Um, so this was, I borrowed this suitcase from Abby, and I lived out of this suitcase for the two weeks while I was there. Abby, if you could come up just for a second. So, this is from Abby's girl to Abby. <coughs> this is ex this would be expensive for their family, and yet they they give. Open it up. There's many baskets in that basket. So that's what, that's what really struck me, is how generous they are. And so part, part of you know, my presentation, part of my call, I feel like, is to, is to gather some support for Dennis and um, have people sponsor more compassion children. Just be open to be giving. Um, maybe it's more of your time. Maybe it's more, maybe it's just a smile to somebody out there, or when God prompts you to say hi to somebody and approach somebody, and, just, just be more open to be giving. Don't, don't, um, don't take what God gives you and hide it under a rock. Like the scriptures say, 
Use it and invest it. Be a good steward. We, we uh, shared at Elias on Thursday night, and what kind of came out of our talk there is just how, you know, the, the story of the loaves and the fish. And um, all we did was say yes. All she did was see a bar of soap and that I brought her as a gift and say, That's how it all started. She, she stopped at the Bayonesa Co-op just on a whim from Kiki saying, hey, let's check this place out. Brought me back a bar of soap and I, you know, I'm sure Jesse even remembers me looking at that bar of soap in my kitchen going, I don't know what I can do, but I want to help. I want to, I want to, people are dirty, they need soap, let's, I could sell soap. <laughs> like, that's how it started, but to, imp you know, um, to import soap is expensive, the weight cost, so then I started with their jewelry. And it's just one step after another, God has been like, okay, Marie, this is what I need you to do now. I'm going to take your fear of public speaking away because I need you to stand up and I need you to testify for these people. I know, it's like, so it's like the it's Russian, like those Russian dolls. dolls. It's right? like all these baskets, one, one after another. But this is a testimony to their generosity. So um, Chantel's story is about five minutes long. Um, after that, that's, that's the end of our presentation. If you feel compelled that you want to become a sponsor of Dennis and his family, come talk to me um, <coughs> or send me an email. Um, take a look at the compassion table. There's six kids on that table from the, two, from the projects we visited. So I hope they get sponsored today. There's, there's a lot more children on there. You know, be, be open, be generous. I, when I went to Africa, I didn't go with the, I've got something to show them. I was going empty. And I've come full. My name is Chantal Niraneza. I'm a mother of three children. I was born in a place called Bujese. We were four children in our family. We were three girls and one boy. I was the, the oldest in our family. Uh, time came when the genocide uh, took place. Uh, both of my parents were killed during the genocide. And uh, my brother and, and uh, my other sister were also killed and we survived the two of us. Uh, uh, my sister was also thrown in a, a pitler tree, but uh, God saved, he, saved her and she was able to be rescued from a pitler tree. Even me, I was uh, hit with clubs and then I was thrown in a pit with other dead bodies and other people who are alive. But God helped me and saved me and I was able to come out of the pit. After coming out of the, that pit, 
I entered into another phase of life of uh, being an orphan. But uh, I was saved by one of the killers, people who are doing the genocide. One of them came and is the one who saved me from, who got me from the pit. And uh, I was uh, lucky that he, he even uh, took me and we, you know, he, he saved me. We went to another, uh, in the southern province, that's when we, where we ran to. But even uh, there we were in a, in a camp, a refugee camp, and we also survived because they were also pursuing me to, to kill me. So uh, we were lucky, that's the time when uh, the RPF um, the soldiers came and they rescued us. And then I, they took me to their camp, to their military camp, and I stayed with them. After, the, after that, then another person came and picked me from the military camp and took me to a, a, a nanny's, uh, in the convent where nanny's place. So in the nuns, uh, I, I found one of the nuns knew my family. So she knew one of our relatives who survived also the genocide. And then he, he she called he, that person and then they, they came and picked me from the from the convent. So I was put uh, in the in, in another group of orphans that they, they had also picked from different places. Even life there was not easy. Time came, I had to, yeah, as young as I was, I had to get married. And I stay with my husband. He's the same husband that we have three children. Two boys and one girl. I want to thank God. Uh, time came, I joined this church and I gave my life to God and then I, can, I was able to fellowship with others. And then time came, we joined the cooperative and uh, I, I would be able to then meet other, live with other women. So all these women or ladies have become my other sisters, they become my relatives, my family. I, uh, before that, I attended uh, a trauma rehabilitation training in this church. That is the training that helped me to be able to heal my heart and my traumas. Before that, I was always uh, resentful and, hate and, and hateful and angry every time with every person. I had, I had even failed to forgive uh, my offenders, people who killed my family. I had failed to forgive them, but after the training, I was able to forgive them. I want to thank God because after that, God gave me a family, a new family, who are these people that we are with in the church and in the cooperative. Thank you so much.